0: Well, hey, good morning, everybody. So good to be with you guys today. Me and my wife, Sherry, who um, matched our shirts today. Yeah, she's, she's really thrilled by that. You can probably tell how I feel about it. Uh, but uh, she always has me get dressed first, and then she gets, then she gets dressed after me and surprise me. But, uh, so, and she knows how much I hate to... Uh, I really hate to undress and dress again. I, I just hate it. So there's another little pet peeve of mine. So, um, uh, but if you guys got a Bible, you get, you're going to turn to uh, 1 Samuel 21 and 22 to begin with. But then we're going to end up in Psalm 52. Psalm 52 is a psalm that David wrote based on 1 Samuel 21 and 22. So I thought we'd get a little background first before we go there. Um, and by the way, uh, if you, before I forget this, if you... Um, are uh, here through the week. Uh, Sherry and I will also be at Memorial Chapel. They have a, we have a teaching series that we're gonna go through uh, tonight and through Wednesday. So, uh, Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday around seven o'clock at Memorial if uh, you wanna come. We're gonna be talking about faith. Uh, very basic, foundational, but very, uh, very needed thing to talk about in our life. Our entire Christian life is based on faith, of course, and, and so we're gonna talk about uh, what authentic faith is tonight, tomorrow, Tomorrow night, we'll talk about uh, what a consistent faith can look like in our lives and how we can have a consistent faith, and then we'll talk about a productive faith, how does our faith produce what God wants it to produce in our lives, and then the last night, we'll talk about what a better faith can look like, that we, hey, what's a stronger faith that maybe you even want to have right now? What does God's word say about that? So that's what we're going to be looking at uh, this week, but today, this morning, we're going to be looking at Psalm, Psalm 52 based on 1 Samuel 21 and 22. Question for us today is, uh, have you ever had a destructive person in your life? I just heard somebody say, oh my gosh. <laughs> Which, okay, probably for all of us, you're like, have, you, have I ever had a destructive, per- have I lived on this planet? Have I ever been around other people? You know, like, it's, it, it really is sad, but it's true that, I mean, we are in a sin-scarred world. Sin is destructive in itself. It doesn't just destroy the person who is sinning, but many times it destroys other people around that person. Satan came to do what? To destroy. And Satan has a lot of influence in our world today and with people. And anybody who is not a follower of Jesus Christ is a slave of sin and in the domain of Satan. So, of course, there's going to be destructive people because our world is fallen with fallen people. That's, that's just how it is. It doesn't make it any easier, though, I think, for, for us um, because we still go, how do I deal with a person like this? Um, and, and maybe I should rephrase that. Maybe I should say, how should we deal with a person that's destructive in our lives? Because probably some of us have our ways of dealing with destructive people, uh, but maybe it's not God's way of doing it. And maybe we decide to put ourselves in a place of authority that God hasn't placed us in to do something about that person, but how do we deal with it? Because most of us aren't been placed in that, into that position. How do you deal with somebody like that? David, of course, probably if you even just know about King David, you know that he, was, he grew up and, and throughout his life, especially his adult life, he had destructive people around him pretty much all the time. Maybe those people would change, but there would people be people around him that were destructive, and either destructive to him, or he was just seeing how that person could be just destructive in general in people's lives, which might be who you might be thinking of, it might be somebody personally in your life uh, with you, but it also might be just somebody you see that's just a destructive person, and look what they're doing, and ah, uh, you're just frustrated because what, what can you do about that person? Well, David went through that so many times, probably the most. A common example that I think of when I think of a destructive person in David's life would probably be who you, some of you might be thinking of if you know his history, is King Saul. However, this is what's crazy. When I went through Psalm 52 and went through what Psalm 52 is based on and who it's based on, I'm not sure that King Saul was the most destructive person that David had in his life or that David experienced around him in his life. There's a very minor character in the Bible, minor character, but major destruction. And his name was Doeg. And when I see what Doeg actually did in just these two chapters, in just a few verses, and then you see Psalm 52 and how what God says through David, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, you might see how destructive he really was too. Let's just look at it in so, uh, 1 Samuel 21 and 22. We're just going to read a couple of verses. We're not going to read just a couple of highlights, but this is a time in David's life where he is beginning to run away from Saul. Saul. King Saul is now threatened by David, and now he's had enough, and now he is purposely trying to kill David. He's putting the word out, maybe the wanted posters. Here's a fugitive. He is wanted a dead, not dead or alive, just dead. And just, I want him dead. So he's after, he's after David. David is now running away, and uh, the, the word isn't out to everyone yet that David is a fugitive. Up until this point, he's like the second in command. He's, he's Saul's son-in-law. I mean, he's, he's somebody that does missions for the king, not against the king. So most people don't know this yet because it's just the beginning of this. So David runs to a place where he believes that he'll be safe, and that's a city of, called Nob. And Nob is where all the priests are and their tabernacle is. And at first you think, wow, David, he's so godly. You know, he's going to go to Nob, to the city of priests, you know, with a tabernacle. Because of course he would go there. Because he wants to, you know, spend time with God and, and get, you know, direction from God. That's not why he goes there. David is not ready to be king. Yet too. We can talk about David some other time, but as you probably know, he still has a lot of maturing to do in his life as well. He even writes a couple of Psalms based on Psalm, uh, on 1 Samuel 21 and 22. That's not about Doeg, but it's about his own failure in that, in that time. But we, we, that aside, he's going to Nob not to get advice from God or spend time with him or pray with some priests. This is so weird. He's going to Nob to get food and weapons. That's awesome. Let's go to church to get food and weapons. That's, that doesn't make any sense. But that's what he goes there for. He goes to the high priest, and he says, do you have any food? And he tells the high priest, I'm on this mission from King Saul. He lies to him. I'm on a mission from King Saul, and uh, I need some you know, supplies for my soldiers. They're, they're kind of uh, off, off you know, a couple miles away. So I just came here to get something for them. And the high priest ends up giving him the bread of presents. Um, from the tabernacle, and he says, You can have that. Um, and, then, and then David says, Hey, you got any weapons lying around here? Like, the like priest's going, I don't know if I have any weapons. He goes, Well, there's actually the sword of Goliath. That's kind of a memorial there because of what God did with, with David, actually, with the killing of, of Goliath. And he says, There's the sword of Goliath, and David goes, That's great. It's awesome. There's nothing like that. So he takes the sword and he takes the food and he leaves. Now, in this setting, in 1 Samuel 21.7, let's just look at this. Just a, one little sentence here, but it says this. Now, a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. His name was Doag the Edomite, the chief of Saul's herdsmen. So he's just, he's just being made clear that it wasn't just the high priest and David there. It, there was this guy named Doeg, who was also there seeing everything, hearing all of this stuff happening, seeing what's taking place there, and then it just kind of says it, puts it to the side until we get to chapter 22. So if you turn to chapter 22, we see that King Saul is now irate because he can't find David, and he can't believe that nobody knows where David is. So he's telling his men, you know, are you trying to keep secrets from me? He's getting a little paranoid. Are you trying to keep secrets from me? Why doesn't anybody know where, where, where David is? Somebody must know. And then Doag happens to be there. And in 1 Samuel 22, verse 9, it says this. Then answered Doag the Edomite, who stood by the servants of Saul, Hey, I saw the son of Jesse, I saw David, coming to Nob to Ahimelech, the son of Ahiteb. That's the high priest. And he inquired of the Lord for him. This, the high priest inquired of the Lord for, for David. And gave him provisions. And gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. Joeg just says, well, hey, you know what? You're asking if anybody's seen him. I, I don't wanna lie. I t- I'm telling you, I, I, I did see David. He was at Nob with the high priest. The high priest gave him provisions and food, gave him some advice from God, gave him some provisions, gave him, uh, gave him a, a weapon, and that's where I saw him. Well, immediately Saul, because he's in this paranoid kind of thing, thinking anyway, now he's thinking David isn't the only enemy he has. But now what is he thinking? Well, now this priest, they helped the fugitive. They helped, they helped David. I can't believe they did that. And so now he's thinking, wow, these people aren't, the, you know, the friend of my enemy is now my enemy too. And so he's going. he goes to the priests. And he goes to the high priest and he says, hey, what are you doing here? Why did you give... Provisions and a weapon to my enemy. You're in league with this fugitive. You're in league with my enemy. And the high priest actually goes, Whoa, calm down, Saul. Like that's you don't have the whole story, you know, and that's not that's not it at all. He told me he was on a mission from you. I didn't know that he was a fugitive yet. I didn't know that he was uh, you know against you or an enemy. I didn't know you declared that that he was an enemy of yours. Now he's done missions for you before. I've helped him in the past. I was just doing what I was doing in the past, and he told me he was on a mission from you. Well, Saul doesn't believe that at all. He he believes that the, the high priest is trying to cover up and trying to lie. And so he orders his men right there. He orders his men to kill all of the priests. And all the men are going, that doesn't seem right. <laughs> you know, like even though they're, they're listening to this thing and maybe, well, maybe these people did help David and they're on. And leave, but the, even with that, these are high priests. There must be something wrong with that. And they all refuse. Then it says in Verse 18. Verse 18 of 1 Samuel 22. Then the king said to Doeg, you turn and strike the priests. And Doeg the Edomite turned and struck down the priests. And he killed on that day 85 persons who wore the linen ephod. And Didn't stop there. And Nob, the city of the priests, he put to the sword, both man and woman, child and infant, ox, donkey and sheep, he put to the sword. Destroyed everyone in the entire city, all the priests and all their family, everybody. In fact, there's only one person that ends up being able to escape. That's one of the sons of Ahimelech who escapes and goes to David. That's it. Doeg does all of that. Now, as I read this, I go, wow, I can't believe he would do that. But what could Doeg say? I was just following the order of the king. You know, I, I, I had to tell him the truth when he asked. I told him the truth. And then he, he told us, you know, I'm an, he's my authority. I need to just do what he says. That's what you could say about Doeg. You know, that's, that's what he would probably say until we read Psalm 52. So now turn to Psalm 52. And then we see how destructive this man really is. That sadly might remind us of people that have been in our lives as well. But in the very top of Psalm 52, it says that this is a masculine, that's a certain type of song that David wrote. It says of David when Doeg the Edomite came and told Saul. David has come to the house of Ahimelech. Hey, this is what David wrote about when, when, and this is about when Doeg went to King Saul and said, hey, I wanna let you know, you've been asking who, who's seen David. I saw him at Ahimelech, uh, and Ahimelech gave him provisions and a sword. And then David writes these words under the inspiration of Holy Spirit. Verse one, and he's writing a song to Doeg. This first part is to Doeg. Why do you boast of evil, O mighty man? Then he says, the steadfast love of God endures all the day. It looks like he's just trying to change, like, oh, here's two different thoughts. But really, in the Hebrew, what what this would mean, when these two things are set side by side, it's as opposed to, in contrast to. He says, why do you boast of evil, O mighty man, in contrast to how God is? God is is the one who shows steadfast love, enduring all the day. You have none of that. You're totally the opposite spectrum than God. Why are you like this? And then he says, the next few verses, look what he says. Your tongue plots destruction like a sharp razor, you worker of deceit. You love evil more than good and lying more than speaking what is right. You love all words that devour, O deceitful tongue." Your tongue destroys, your tongue devours. You, what you say is so deceitful and so destructive. I think Doeg was, What are you talking about? What did I say? And he's talking about when he told Saul this the heart that was in Doeg at that time. Doeg would say, I told the truth. Did he tell the truth? Yeah, he told the truth. Was he deceitful? Yes, he was deceitful. Isn't it amazing? This is so, it's so hard. And I don't know, maybe some of us have, have struggled this in our own lives, but isn't it amazing how you can actually, someone can actually say everything that is true to still get someone else to believe a lie? It's crazy. But that's what Dog was doing. Doeg knew exactly what he was doing when he told King Saul, hey, he, the high priest gave him food and gave him provisions, gave him, you know, g- helped him out, gave him an inquiry from God, and David was there, and that's what happened. Leaving out that Doeg also saw this, David telling the high priest that he was on a mission from the king. He didn't tell him that. Why? He wanted King Saul. To believe a lie he wanted King Saul to be against the priests that's what he wanted it's made clear as we read this in the psalm that's all that he could it could be referring to that's the only thing he said and all of that was to devour to destroy he meant for King Saul he knew King Saul would would bite that bait and go That's why he was so eager when King Saul said, You kill him. Doug went, You bet. He was waiting for the order. He was, he was, he was, I I think he was like, When the soldier said no, he must have been going, Oh man, please ask me. And Saul does. And he goes at it. So now, I, maybe for you, like for me, I was reading that and going, Well, why in the world would I be against all the priests? Like, why would that even happen? If he really did want him dead like that, and was really manipulating King Saul to get what he wanted to be a destructive person, which is what some people do, they manipulate other people to actually do their dirty work for them, and then they can sit back and say, I'm not doing it. And you go back to where we began. I just breezed over it. But it's back in chapter 21. I'll just read it to you again. You don't have to turn there. But 1 Samuel 21 verse 7 says this. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day in the tabernacle in in Nob at the high priests. Detained before the Lord. Did you guys catch that when I read that? Detained before the Lord. Was Doeg there because he wanted to be there? No. Doeg was at the tabernacle because he had to be there. Do you know what another word for detained is? Think about this, detention. Same route. He was in detention. Before God, people would be in detention in the tabernacle, have to stay there because they did something that was sinful, something that made them unclean, something happened, and they would have to go through a certain time of ritual and, or, and be detained before God there and before they could be released back out to the public. He was not there because he wanted to be there. He was there because he had to be there. And who did he see, who did he see as the people that were just keeping him there and keeping his freedom from him? priests. On that day, he developed a grudge. And he went, I'm going to get you. I don't know how, but I'm going to get you. And you will never be able to detain me again. And that's exactly what happened. He won at the end. Do you know people like that? Unfortunately, we do. Something happens, a grudge, and I'm going to get you back, and I'm going to do something to you because you're actually, you're actually confining me. It, it, that, that's how they see it. So they're going to do something to you to destroy you, and how they feel more secure is by your destruction. So now I'm safe again. Now I can go do my own thing, and I'll never have to be detained again. That's Doeg. Wow. That's why I say maybe one of the most, if not the most destructive person David ever did encounter was Doeg. But that's what we see in those first four verses. So when we have somebody like that, somebody who's a manipulator like that, somebody who just destroys either us or someone else, David isn't the one being destroyed here. David was, able, was witnessing the destruction of other people because of his deceitfulness, because of Doeg's deceitfulness. But you gotta think he had to be so torn by that as he writes this. So what do we do about it? What do we do when we see destructive people? And I think that David's next words would be, he, you know, when he says, hey, you love all these words of you know deceitfulness and you're destructive, but you know what, one day I'm gonna meet you and I'll take you down. One day I'm gonna pay you back for what you've done to these priests. One day I am gonna get you. He doesn't say that. The next words in the song and verse 5 is this, but God. Not but I, not but someone. You've been destructive to me, how does it feel if i be destructive to you? No, but God. But God will break you down forever, not me. God will take care of you. He will snatch and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. But God will do something. I feel at times that God has anointed me to do something to destructive people. And uh, he hasn't. And you feel the same way too. And there is true. It is true. God does appoint certain people you know, as his instruments to bring about righteousness. I mean, people that are in authority, but most of the people that are, God has not appointed us as authority over their life. And I'm talking about those people, those are the most, that's the most frustrating. God hasn't appointed you to do something to him. God has told you, I will do something. I'll do something. At the right time, in the right way, God did something with Doeg. At the right time and the right way, God will do something with the destructive people in our lives. And there's a couple of times in this, in this psalm where I feel like it's one of these things where we go, let's take a breath. Take a breath. It's okay. God knows they're destructive. God knows what they've done. God is the judge. God will Take care of them. If you take, if you're a note taker and you like to write like numbered notes or whatever, that's number one. There's two basic things to remember from this psalm. The first one is this: What do I do with destructive people? Nothing. Number one, God will take care of them. God will take care of them. But they're. But they're. God will take care of them. He goes on and just says, the righteous shall see. We might see what God does, but he's the one that does it. We'll see in fear. They shall laugh at him, saying, see the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and sought refuge in his own destruction. And that's not not, in the the Hebrew. It's probably better uh, referred to as in, in his own destruction of other people. He, 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 Doeg sought refuge by destroying other people who he felt like was a threat to him. Instead of seeking refuge in God, many times we decide to seek refuge by manipulating or destroying other people, and so that we can feel more safe instead of just going to God. And anybody who does that, anybody who decides, I'm going to take my own life and just, I'm going to just manipulate other people, I'm going to do that, God will take care of you one way or another. And anybody who is righteous, anybody who has taken refuge in God, and at the end of the day, at the end of the entire thing, when the dust settles, we will see that God takes care of the wicked and he will take care of the righteous. And the righteous will see that somebody who is like Doeg and continues to be that way will will not get away with it. God will do it. It reminds me of 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through 23. If you just want to write it down, you can turn there. That's great, too. But I'm just going to read this to you. 1 Peter 2, 21 through 23, is a, a, a letter about suffering when there was destructive people around Christians' lives. That's where 1 Peter is based on. And in this part of the letter, he's talking to slaves who had wicked masters, destructive masters. And they wanted to destroy their... Master was trying to destroy the, the slave just simply because they were Christians, And and Peter's telling the slaves, hey, this is what you need to do. Again, these slaves are not in authority. They don't have a place of authority to do something to the destructive masters. So what should they do? And in verse 21, it's so powerful. 1 Peter 2.21 says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. This is a huge truth. Jesus did not suffer so that we wouldn't have to. Did you get that? Jesus did not suffer so that you would not have to. Jesus suffered so you would know how to. Jesus did not go through what he did so you would never have destructive people around you. Jesus dealt with destructive people in his own life to show us how to deal with destructive people in our life. That's what Jesus did. Jesus suffered so we would know how to handle those suffering times too. When other people make us suffer, we do what Jesus did. He did what he did on the cross so that we would follow in his steps. And it says in verse 22 and on, it says this, what he did. It says, he committed no sin. When people sinned against him, he didn't sin against them in return. He neither, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. What did Jesus do? It says, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He said... This is where my father has placed me. My father has placed me under these people's authority. My father has not put me here right now in this point, in this time. My father has told me to trust him and the plan he has for me in this suffering. I can trust him to deal with these people. I can trust my father to deal with it. And that's what Jesus continued to do. Do you remember what he said to Pilate? When Pilate says, do you understand that I have the power to set you free or send you to the cross? Say something. Defend yourself. Do you remember what Jesus said to him? You can't do anything unless my Father allows you to do it. I'm going to trust him. And we say, well, then God, do something then. (laughs) Do it. And God may do something quickly. He may not do something in our entire lifetime. Why? Why? Because 2 Peter is so clear about God's heart. He's not, he's not de- delaying like, punishment or delaying to, to, to set things right or be the righteous judge that he is because he's just not going to do it. He says he's just being patient. For who? For those destructive people. Because he doesn't want anybody to perish. He wants everybody to come to repentance, right? Now, the day of the Lord will come. The day of the Lord for that person will come if there's no repentance. But God wants to give every single moment, every single second that can be, that can be given to to allow that person to repent. Don't we want that too? Don't we want Doeg more to repent rather than be punished? Don't answer that if you're in a bad place. But here you go. But seriously, as a follower of Jesus Christ, what do we really deeply want more? Repentance. Not punishment. Because that's what we wanted in our life, too. And if that's what we want from God for us, how could we say we would not want that for someone else? How do you deal with destructive people? You know that God is going to deal with them. And we can pray for repentance. And we can be like Jesus Christ during that time. So, the first thing to remember is God will take care of them. The second thing to remember, especially if God does not take care of them quickly and they continue to be destructive, how do I deal with that? What about me? And just write this down. Number two, God has taken care of me, God will take care of them. Oh, yeah. Number two, God has already taking care of me. Hasn't he? I love the next line after what David writes. Okay, this is the destructive person. God will take care of them sometime in his own way, in the right way, at the right time. What do I do in the meantime? And he says, but I, in verse eight, but I am like a green olive tree in the house of God picture that? He doesn't even say what he needs to do when there's a destructive person in my life. It's what I need to remember I am when there's a destructive person in my life. Crazy, isn't it? We think, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? And God says, why don't you remember who you are? Why don't you remember what you are? You are a green olive tree planted in my house What is he saying there? Just picture that. You are a green, we're all of your followers of Jesus Christ. You are a green olive tree planted in the house of God. A green olive tree in that culture, productive, valuable, loved. Olive trees were really worth something. And then you add that, planted in the house of God, safe secure. Are you getting it? Here's a destructive person. Are they actually able to break into the house of God and do something to you? They're going to come in and chop down the tree. God's going to get up in the morning and go, oh man, I don't know what happened here. Steal the tree, take some leaves. No, you are safe and secure and loved and cared for. And all the tree planted in the house of God? He's not going to forget to water you, feed you, give you everything you need. And he already has. Every single one of us. We have an inheritance for us, we have eternal life. We, ha- we are children of God. We have been adopted by God in his family. We have a blessing after blessing after blessing in heavenly places, none of that would take away. No- Doag can't, the Doags of the world cannot do anything to change that, nothing. It Reminds me of what Jesus says in Matthew 10, 28 through 31. Remember when he's talking to his disciples and he's telling his disciples, when I leave, there's gonna be destructive people in your life. It's going to happen. In fact, he paints that picture, remember? You're sheep among wolves. What a horrible picture. We know what's going to happen in that picture. I'm sorry, did he say we were the sheep? Yeah, you're the sheep among wolves. You're going to have destructive people, and they will destroy you. And they, You're even going to lose your lives. And then he says these incredible words, but... Don't fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Not even the hairs of your head, but even the hairs of your head are all numbered Fear not, therefore, you are more valuable than many sparrows. He says, Do you, rem- you got to remember this, that those people that, that are destructive in your life, they can't destroy you. Nobody can touch you. In, in that First Peter passage, Peter even reminds those slaves, at the very end of it, he says, you have a shepherd and a guardian of your soul. Those masters cannot touch your soul. They cannot destroy you. You are a green olive tree planted in the house of God another time to take a breath, isn't it? Take a breath. Their destruction can only go so far. They cannot touch your soul. Do you really believe, that, just really think about it, do, you re, do we really think that when, when Doeg killed all those high priests, that they were destroyed that day? You know what happened in that day? Those priests who were following the God that their fathers followed, do you know what happened that day? They were placed into the actual physical presence of God. That's what happened that day. Were those priests taken care of? Yes. Yes. God is going to take care of you. God's already taken care of you. And he says, remember that. When those destructive people are coming, we start looking at them and say, oh, but look what they can do. Look what they do. And God says, will you remember who you are? Remember what you are. And remember where you are. In my house. And when we remember that, God will do something with them at the right time and the right way. God has already taken care of me as well. And nobody can untake care of me. Now we can do three things that David ends his psalm with. And if you wanna write it down, you can do this too. Now when we have the right perspective, even with the most destructive people in our lives, we can trust God, we can thank God, and we can wait for God. We can trust him, we can thank him, we can wait for him. Look what he says, he just ends it with this and says this at the end of verse eight and verse nine, he says, I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. I know now when I, now that I'm thinking, wait a second, I'm a great olive tree in his house. He cares for me and I will always be there and he will t- care for me forever. I can trust him. I trust what he has said is true of me. I trust what he has said that's taken care of and is the protector and guardian of my soul. I trust his care. Take a breath. Verse 9, I will thank you forever. How are we going to be thankful (laughs) during these people that are destructive around me? Oh, thank you so much. How are we thankful? He says it. Because what? Why am I thankful? Because you have done it. There's only one thing that he said he has done. He talks about what he's going to do to the destructive people. He's not talking about that. There's one thing that he's already said that God has done. And what's that? Planted him as a green olive tree in the house of God. I am going to thank you because you have made me this. You have done this. It's crazy that when we have the right perspective, we can become more thankful the more destruction there is around us. We can become more thankful. If there's a wind, wow, this wind's coming up. Okay, okay, I must, wait a second. I'm a green olive tree planted in the house of God. I'm totally kidding. This wind is not going to be able to do anything to me. Thank you, God. Thank you. If it's a hurricane... If it's a hurricane around us, we can't even see. Everything is just all dust bowl. I mean, it's just, everything is torn apart. Everything is ruined. And what are we still? A green olive tree planted in the house of God. Aren't we even more thankful? Wow, God, not even a leaf can fall off of me. In the worst hurricane. Thank you. We can trust him, we can thank him, and we can wait for him. Now I gotta tell you, I'd rather not wait, but I can. I will wait for your name. That when he says for your name, Name includes the person's power and authority. I will wait for your power to arrive. I will wait for your authority to arrive. I will see it one day. You will make all things right because it's good. And we godly people, the godly people will be taken care of. It's in the presence of the godly. I can wait for that. I can wait for as long as the hurricane's going on because I know once, whenever it is going to happen, I know once the dust settles, you're going to be standing there, God. And everything will be taken care of. I know that. Not just in me, but also around me. I know that. I can wait for that. Especially if it means giving them a chance to repent. Because I'm already taken care of. We can wait, can't we? Maybe we'll even pray, begin to pray that God will give a few more days so the person might repent. Wow. Because I'm already okay. You guys, when I read this Psalm, not only can I survive with destructive people in my life, I can thrive with destructive people in my life. I haven't even gotten into how God even uses that to make you become more like Jesus and does that to do something in you, we know suffering times are meant to make us what we need to be, too. Hey guys, we can, we can trust God to do what he needs to do for that person. We can trust God with what he's already done permanently for us and in us. So we can, we can trust him, we can thank him, and we can wait. Let's take a breath and thrive. God, I thank you for um, this reminder again with Psalm 52. Boy, I think of the times where I have freaked out because of destructive people in my life. And now I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you, God, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I forgot that you're going to take care of them. I'm sorry I forgot that you've already taken care of me. So I want to remember with all of us that we would remember and just picture in our minds I'm a green olive tree in the house of God. So God, we're going to trust you. (laughs) You care for us. We're going to thank you. Because nothing can touch our souls. And we're going to wait for you. For the exact right time and the exact right way that you have. Not only for them, but also to do things in our lives too. Through, even through destructive times. Oh, thank you. And so we all take a breath in the name of your son, Jesus.